You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 23, covering the Gamesters of Triskelion and a piece of the action. Hi kids, how are you? We are fine. We are here again to tell you about Star Trek. All of the Star Trek. Won't you listen and, to it? And possibly to sell you these fine leather jackets. Look behind but that you, headed monkey. Wah! Blah! <laughs> Alright, um... <laughs> this week we got two profoundly stupid episodes. Oh my god! That unfold in incredibly different ways. Uh, the first one is Matt's, uh, the gamesters of something something. Uh, yes, the gamesters of... Trisket. I think it was actually Triskelion is how they said it, but we've been the, saying it more like Trisket. Something the Gamesters of Three Skeletons. <laughs> All right. Kirk, Uhura, and Chekhov are about to beam down to some planet or other when they vanish off the transporter pad. Not in the traditional way, but in the but in the way. They appear on some planet or other four surrounded by aliens. In this case, aliens refer to Richard Keel with Dracula teeth, a yellow transsexual, Barbarella, Ming the Merciless, and Space Elvis. Ming tells the crew that they will be enslaved and forced to fight for the entertainment of the Providers. They are then fitted with slave collars, taken to cells, and Uhura is apparently almost raped by Space Elvis. They never mention it, but they also never really say if she escaped, and it was really kind of uncomfortable to watch for everyone, including Kirk, who was there. Kirk and Chekhov also meet with their respective alien trainer guys. Chekhov's is the yellow tranny, predating the Simpsons porn movie by about 40 years. And Kirk gets Barbarella, who he quickly begins seducing. Barbarella tells Kirk that she will teach him to fight, and Kirk introduces her to the ancient art of hot makeouts. They go out for a romantic run around the ruins, and Kirk tells her he lives on a star. He offers to bring her moonbeams home in a jar, but she would rather be a mule, and so the two of them return to the ring for more training. During said training, Uhura refuses to attack one of the other slaves, and Kirk talks himself into a weapon. He is then forced to fight against Dracula Richard Keel. Upon defeating him, the Providers, three voices, pipe up, betting Quatlus on Kirk. The Enterprise, which has been searching for them, finally arrives, but the Providers block it from beaming anyone down. The Providers bring Kirk to meet them, revealing themselves to be three squiggly brains in a popomatic bubble. They explain that the only thing that they that they like to do is bet on fighting slaves. Then Kirk starts shatting it up like a motherfucker all over the place. And the providers agree that he can go if he can defeat their three evil exes, I mean, aliens, if only to shut him the hell up. He defeats Dracula Richard Keel again, Space Elvis, and leftover Andorian makeup guy, and then fights with Barbarella. The providers agree that Kirk has won and set everyone free. Barbarella asks Kirk if she can come home with him into the stars. Uh, Kirk promises that he would, but he's got to work tomorrow. But he'll call you, baby, really. <laughs> yeah, so Kirk is shirtless for most of the episode. Yeah. He teaches an alien woman out of love and frees some slaves by single-handedly defeating trained combatants that outnumber him three to one. While lecture And he lectures the aliens for like 20 minutes. Oh, yeah, let's not forget the, the big moral lecture at the end. So either Shatner wrote this episode or he demanded something like this in his contract when he signed oh, my on for God. season two. I'm not coming back if you don't let me do an episode where I act out ever I want. 
Yeah, I, I, we're slowly seeing the, the gradual backslide. Like, early on, he was a little charming, a little over the top from time to time, but mostly just, like, uh, the charming douchebag. You could see how the women fell for him. You could see, you know, all that. And now it's more and more he's just a ridiculous parody of himself. And just hand-talking so much. Oh, yeah, when he's when he's at the brains in front of the, as you say, the pop bubble. Yep. That's the most, I think, the most... Uh, because he's not interacting with anyone. He's just talking to props. Yep. And so there's no one to rein him in and, and show him what a human looks like. And so he can just careen off into whatever direction he wants, I guess. He's pulling his fists into his chest and then spreading them out to show the glory of the cosmos that could be free. And then he pulls them back in. While he's wearing that ridiculous uh, harness. Yeah, thing. exactly. His back, like his that... back brace. Yeah. <laughs> Now, everyone looked really stupid in those things, but somehow Uhura's, which was uh, silver, uh-huh. made her look a little more like a like a space astronaut. Yeah. I kind of like that. Actually. Space lady. I like. I stand by space astronaut as opposed to the earthbound astronauts. Yes. You know, the uh, ones that were in the moon landing. Right, of course. <laughs> we, we, we'll not talk about that on this show. <laughs> um, yeah, this one was just dumb. It was and it's, you know, bad and dumb and boring and such a cliche like one of those standard aliens bring you to a planet and fight you against each other in an arena like how was this concept so good in a mock time and so terrible here well because mock time was all about character this is all about brains in jars betting quatloos yeah but futurama could do a show about brains in jars betting quatloos and that would be good yeah but futurama is awesome well all right that's a good point um, I, I, speaking of a mock time, they used, uh, they used the, the fight, you know, the da, 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 and it, it felt like misused here. I felt, it felt almost sacrilegious. Like why? Yeah. You guys, why, why am I hearing this? Is something awesome isn't happening. Yeah. I don't see Kirk and Spock fighting. That would be cool. No. This there is was dumb. A, there was a good plot with Spock. I like the subplot of, um, Spock was looking for them when they disappeared from where they were supposed to be going. And he was pursuing this ridiculous long shot. Um, and it was cool to see him, you know, the usually the calm, logical one who needs facts, going off on this crazy hunch. Mm-hmm. And the two most emotional guys on the ship, Bones and Scotty, like, you know, you're, you're crazy. What are you doing? Why are you going on this crazy, you know, uh, thing? You, you're never going to find him, you know? And it was it was nice, nice little, like, ironic twist to see spock kind of following his passions almost yep. like i have a hunch i think i think i can find jim and you know the two really human guys saying no stop we don't have any facts i like spock in this one he seems very smug yeah well <laughs> you know for spock i mean that's that's a day at the office well right? yes but I, I did really enjoy that that's at least when we get an episode like this there's often a subplot there's often like a b plot that's not terrible and in this case you know we got that yeah the thing was that, like, there wasn't a whole lot happening in that B-plot. So, it's again, it was the characters that really sort of made it work. Well, yeah, we cut back to maybe five or ten minutes out of the whole episode of, of just character interaction. Yeah. Right. But uh, but it's still because they're characters we like and because it's a fun little twist on the usual uh, the usual dynamic, I, I particularly enjoyed that. I also enjoyed uh, Bones and McCoy on – or uh, Bones and uh, Scotty apparently strolling around the bridge. Well, I think, I think the director was looking to stage – you know those uh, those conversations in an interesting way. They didn't want to just be standing in one corner. No, 
So there was a lot of weird blocking where, yeah, you they would pace around we, so, to one side. They'd, they'd walk from Uhura Station around to Chekhov Station. We, we sort of come in on this scene where they're, they've they've started walking before the scene starts, and so it just looks like they're they're taking laps around the bridge. <laughs> well, you know, if you if you got bridge duty, which I don't think Bones ever has, I think he just hangs out up yeah. there. But you know, you you, you got to get up and stretch every now and then. You got to you know keep your blood moving. I mean, I I work in a cubicle. I can appreciate that. But uh, Bones, I don't know. I mean, he, I mean, he could go back to, to sick bay anytime he wants. Yeah. You know? I mean, um, you you pointed out Chekhov's trainer, I guess, uh, being a, a, a tranny, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, you're you're not just making a, a, a fun little uh, one off joke there. It was really super obvious that it was either a dude in drag or a very masculine woman. Yeah. And I can't tell if it was bad casting or a deliberate choice for laughs, but they didn't play the laughs up enough, so I just I, I had no idea. No, well, I th- it, it felt like they were trying to do comedy with that one, but it wasn't working, and, you know... Well, like most comedy involving Chekhov. Well, exactly. It's like, misfired. well, listen, Chekhov is so hilarious, we don't need to explain anything. He'll just show up and people will laugh. Like, hey, why don't you teach me the meaning of love? Oh, boy. No, that that is okay. I listen in in Soviet Russia. <laughs> I'm really glad uh, when you did your recap. I guess I wasn't paying enough attention initially. I thought they were the preservers, mm-hmm. which are actually a really cool Star Trek thing that comes up in Next Gen and uh, and in in some of the other books yeah. and like the extended universe stuff. Thankfully, it's the providers, not the preservers, yeah. because I was worried that this really cool thing started in this really retarded episode. Yeah, no, they provide. They don't preserve shit. Well, good. Except gambling scores, I guess. And pre- so they're just—it's it, a planet of retired, like you know, old people playing bingo. Basically. Yeah, exactly. They even sounded like old people. Just like I'm Britain, uh, four hundred quat lose on the newcomer. Well, one of them remarkably sounded a bit like Mr. Angus, which got us giggling all over. Again. I'm going to bet five hundred quat lose that the woman is killed by someone. <laughs> After head trauma, I can assure you, this contestant hates women. <laughs> I'm Mr. Hengis. Mr. Hengis. And this has been the Mr. Hengis show, starring me, Mr. Hengis. Mr. Hengis. Of course you are. <laughs> I, I was I'm really struggling to find anything cool on that planet. Like, the, the aliens looked really stupid. Uh, was that actually Richard Keel, or were you just making No, I just was Richard making Keel's? a reference to the fact that he is tall. Because he's a big, looming guy with... I guess they were supposed to be scary fangs, but it looked like he had the wrong size Dracula fangs and he couldn't close his mouth. Yeah, he looked like... He looked like Leech from He-Man. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Or, um... Wasn't he called Succor? <laughs> they all called something or... Suck Sean. <laughs> or, um... Yeah, there you go. Um... Or he looked like, um... One of those dogs, one of those like ill-bred dogs that can't close their mouths all the way because of their teeth. Yeah. And now you must fight this man. Ah, mad dog. Ah, I'm from the. I'm okay. From the thanks. pug planet. Yes. Pugulon uh, <laughs> Fox. <laughs> yeah, just just really dumb and and like usual went around in circles a lot and just not fun. No, you got Kirk teaching this chick. The, the I mean. This is probably where the origin of Shatner teaching alien women how to love that cliche yeah. came from. Because he pretty much gave that speech. What is beauty, Captain Kirk? <sighs> Will you so terrible. help me again? And then, of course, because he's seducing her to get what he wants, uh, you know, he does that thing where he, uh, he he makes out with her and then and then 
you know, takes what he wants. Only in this case, it was like really, really clumsily handled. He kisses her and then punches her. Yep. It's just so like, what the fuck? I mean, okay, this show isn't as, uh, isn't as, as, as feminist maybe as we would like. Maybe, uh, maybe it's a little, uh, sexist still, but that's, that's a little blow the belt. I, I, I get the feeling that this is neither the first nor the last time Kirk will do that. I mean, I, I, I thought at least they had that, uh, that had that whole, uh, you know, gentlemanly, like, old-timey idea. That, oh, a man doesn't hit a lady. You know, like, well, well no. So. <laughs> In the future, men can hit whatever they want. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, you got anything else about this one? Or? Um, I think, oh, you know what? They, they, they introduced this plot point in his final battle, right? Where they've got this, uh, they've got this, th- this plot, this thing on the, f- like, there's a drawing on the floor, a yellow drawing. And Kirk can only stand on that. Oh, right. Or he'll die. Uh-huh. So, let's see. It was three seconds in before Shatner puts his foot down there. <laughs> Did he die? I, I wasn't paying attention at that point. I, I don't prob- think so. I think I may have left been, the room to go do something. I, was, I believe I may have been giggling about Mr. Hengist, but I'm pretty sure he didn't <laughs> die. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> it might have well, ended the episode earlier. That that would have been lovely. It didn't... How I, I will give it that. We there's some episodes that are stupid and just won't end and just like oh my god at least this one kind of kept moving I guess like there was a bit of running in circles but like it wasn't one of those where you and I are watching and we're like oh why is this still on yeah it I, it wasn't the apple no I mean the pacing wasn't an issue it was just stupid it was a stupid concept yep that's all it was whereas. On the other hand, we, we got a great uh, contrast this week, because on the other hand, the episode that I got is a really stupid concept that somehow they managed to have fun with. Yep. It's, it's sort of the, the opposite of this, so uh, if you don't mind... Uh, Go right ahead. I'm going I'm to jump into a piece of the action. Uh, so the Enterprise visits Sigma Iosha 2, a planet that was last visited by a ship called the Horizon about 100 years ago. Kirk talks to a man named Oxmix, which strikes me as possibly the worst thing you could find when reaching into a glass bowl at a party. Oxmix is a mob boss on, you guessed it, a planet of 20s mobsters. Yes, it turns out that when the Horizon visited the planet a century ago, they left behind a book, Chicago Mobs of the 20s. This was, of course, before the non-interference directive that Kirk observed so religiously. Apparently, leaving a book behind on an underdeveloped planet can cause that planet to build an entire society around the subject of that book. As a comedy writer, I am now obligated to insert a reference to the Da Vinci Code here. Man, it's a good thing they didn't leave behind a copy of the Da Vinci Code... That book was terrible. So anyway, standard Wacky Planet episode rules apply, and Kirk and Spock begin running back and forth between various factions. Eventually, Kirk realizes how to salvage this colossally stupid situation by dressing up as gangsters with Spock and chewing up the scenery. Now we've turned a corner from a run-of-the-mill Planet Backlot episode to a semi-classic campy episode. Kirk can't drive stick. They run into some newsy street urchin informant. Mel, the cook from TV's Alice, shows up. Beautiful dames lurk about being beautiful. Finally, Kirk stuns everyone from orbit, with the ship's orbital death ray set to stun, and convinces everyone to get their act straight and kick a taste up to Jimmy Bagels. Oh, then we discover that Bones left his communicator behind, but we're not going to bother going back for it. What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) So yeah, like I say, the last one was a stupid idea that was just pulled off poorly. This is a stupid idea that they have fun with. Yeah, this was a lot of fun, this episode. And and I hate like I really do hate the come back to a planet that's exactly like Earth. Yeah. The the the, the, the pl- parallel development thing and all that you know or or we contaminated the culture somehow. But you know, seeing uh, seeing Kirk and Spock in pinstripes 
pretty fucking cool. Yeah, it was. And, uh, you know, holding Tommy guns and uh, and so forth. Just uh, a lot of fun. And, and Shatner obviously had fun with it. I mean, he Oh, was just, God, yeah. You know, again, sort of the opposite spectrum. He's still overacting, but he's doing it in a fun way. He's, uh, you know, playing up the, the gangster voice. And, now, you know, like that kind of thing. Now, listen here. User's going to kick up 40% to the Federation's. I did like the play on words where they where they started calling the Federation the Feds. That was a nice little, uh, a nice little touch. Everyone carried these Tommy guns around the whole time, and you barely saw anyone shooting them. And for, I, it was like a subconscious thing. It just I felt really disappointed. When's someone going to shoot the guns? Yeah, there's a there's a there's a prolonged uh, uh, fight between the two gang the two gangs uh, towards the end, and it's like a GI Joe battle. Everyone's firing, no one's getting killed. Well, and and you you see the shooting start, and then you pan up to the uh, to the window and a, and a high uh, a high uh, floor of the building above, where they're all watching out the window. So you hear all this all this stuff happening, and you're not seeing any of it. <laughs> Some guys just like, boy, look at that! <laughs> they got like uh, the the 1968 equivalent of Michael Winslow from Police Academy, <laughs> just. Uh, Doing the doing the battle entirely on his own. Come on, Spock, we gotta iron out this deal. But that little but Captain, that little guy hasn't done anything yet. <laughs> you just know he's nice. going to do something and you know it's going to be good. Oh. <laughs> it it was a lot of fun seeing, you know, seeing them as gangsters. Um I wish we had seen Bones dress up in pinstripes and a, and a fedora as well, but a lot of the comedy really worked because Kirk was actually having a lot of fun chewing the scenery and Spock had to rein him in. Yeah. I think Bones would have just been an extra, like a third wheel in that scenario. Yep. So, but uh, you know, there's a there's, Kirk gets in the car and says, "Oh, I know how to drive," and he doesn't know how to. I drive. believe they and called it an automobile. Right. I mean, you know, classic Star Trek, classic shtick, but it was it was funny. I mean, mm. Shatner and Nimoy have good chemistry, and and they know what's funny, and it worked. Yep. Um, the uh, the 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 broads, the dames. Uh, in in Ox Mix, who was one of the bosses, and uh, Jojo Cracko was the other one. Well, Jojo was a man who thought he w- wait. Jojo was <laughs> he was the he was the he was the cook on TV's Alice, which is a reference like maybe three people who grew up in the seventies will get. But, uh, <laughs> I'm standing behind it just the same. I had to look up who Richard Keel was, so mm. sometimes we just make those references. Um, but the dames that they, that both of them had looked like kind of the same chick or the same kind of chick, only she changed outfits and wigs. <laughs> All right, we're like very, we're very like curvy in that nice, like old timey, you know, like Marilyn Monroe, like yeah, not afraid to to be shaped like a woman kind of way, but very much like the same in the face and the body, and just like uh huh. All right, well we're again. we're heading over to Boss Oxmix's place now. Oh jeez. All right, hang on a sec. I gotta put on my blonde wig. Oh man. Oh, hang on. Okay, I'm ready for you now. Okay, Mister Rowe. <laughs> All right, now the Joker's Kirk, showing up. Ah, son of a bitch! Kirk, uh, you you pointed this out early on, and uh, I couldn't not notice it once you pointed it out. Uh, Kirk's fedora was not so much a fedora; it appeared to be fuzzy. It appeared to be made of fur or something. It looked like it was made out of the same stuff as my, the couch I had in the eighties, <laughs> or possibly it was uh, it was upholstered with triple triple hides. <laughs> But yeah, a close up, especially since I have the restored ones, which are in a uh, bit better quality. It's just it was hard not to notice. You're just like that is it, it one looked, damn fuzzy hat. Yeah, it looked like he bought it on the boardwalk at uh, you know Ocean City or whatever your whatever your local place is with a shitty boardwalk by the by the water. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was it was a rare occurrence of Kirk 
like actually getting into something fun. Like usually it's the other way around. Usually everyone else is having fun and he's like, no, we must, you know, be professional. We must, no one can have fun. It's the human condition. But this was like a rare time where he was really getting into the yeah. thing and everyone else is like, what, what, what are you the doing? hell is he doing? Nah. <laughs> you expect it from Spock, but when they call back to Scotty, he's like, what? Uh, hello? What's, what's that, sir? I, I don't know what you're saying. The eaters? Get, get me a book to translate to all of this. <laughs> Chicago mobs of the 20s. Ah, there we go. Oh, so a heater refers to... Look, you can hold off on beaming down all of those space heaters. They don't need them. <laughs> we have air conditioning, too, if you need it. It's extremely cold down on the planet, sir. Yeah, it's, um, you know, again, just very stupid but funny. Um, I don't want an episode like this every week, but once or twice a season. Yeah, that that's fine. Seeing them ham it up and just have fun and, and get a little campy. That's That's okay. Yeah. The original Star Trek gets that uh, gets that allowance. <laughs> Next gen and DS Nine and so forth uh, do not. No, you're not allowed to be campy when uh, when you get into the '90s and you know better. Up oh, Dixon Hill time. Uh, actually, those couple of those were okay. All right, but uh, I, you know, overall, I just I really enjoyed. Like, I thought it was going to be. I thought I was not going to enjoy it, and I really did. Yeah, I was, I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, no, that that was a lot of fun. Yep. Uh, anything else on this one? Or? Uh, I think that that is it. All right. So uh, you got a in the future for I... the gamesters of whatever the hell? The gamesters of three skeletons. Yes. All right. In the future. In the future. In the future. Absolutely nobody will be able to tell you what the frigga Quatlu is. <laughs> I guess the lasting legacy of the gamesters of such and such was... Um, Quatloos. Yeah, like... Because I guess that's used at conventions, and it's used in a Futurama episode, and that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, it's like, you've got three brains plugged into the same pop bubble, or like, I bet 300 Quatloos on this guy. What What is that? <laughs> it's nothing. I mean, obviously, they, they can't carry coins. Where are you going to put them in a brain? <laughs> it's just ridiculous. The absurdity of it. <laughs> that is the only thing wrong with this episode. Yep. Other than that, uh, flawless. Yep. All right, so for a piece of the action, uh, it's a bit of a long one, but uh, trust me here, I'm going somewhere with this. In the future, in the future, in the future, starships out on the frontier making contact with alien races will be required to observe a policy of cultural non-interference. This policy will be held above all the others, earning it the colloquial name Prime Directive. In accordance with this Prime Directive, the more technologically advanced explorers will do everything within their power to avoid contaminating the natural development of a less advanced society. Unless, of course, you just don't feel like it. <laughs> I think was this the first time we've really just put a put a, a name and a, and a proper concept? Like they mentioned the non-interference directive before, but I think wasn't this the first time where they really kind of explored? This is what happens when you fuck with a culture when you when you find a stranger in the Alps. Don't do this. <laughs> yeah, I think that it was. I like, like they, 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 ta- they talked they talked about it before, but I think this is the first time they sort of gave a name to it. Yeah, before they go down to the planet, there's a there's a lengthy discussion with Bones, mm-hmm. where he's talking about, oh, well, you know, we can contaminate the natural development, and we're really not supposed to do that, and blah blah blah. I think this was the first time we really like. I, just, I don't think they're calling it the Prime Directive yet. Mm-hmm. That's sort of uh, retroactive on my part, but uh, but they will. Yeah, and, and oh, they the will. whole idea is so you don't leave a book behind and make a society build itself around your stupid book or a communicator, by the way. Uh, yeah, apparently there's a there's a follow up story to this in the comics, which I haven't read yet. It's in that that collection of uh, Star Trek comics. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Where uh, where they come, where the next gen crew come back to the planet and uh, see what happened when Bones left his communicator behind. That's sort of cool. I'd like to read that. Yeah, 
All right. Uh, you got a quote for yours? Yeah, mine is after uh, uh, Spock's reaction to uh, Bones' 87th accusation that, that they are all going on a wild goose chase. You're going to leave here without them? Run off on some wild goose chase halfway across the galaxy just because you found a discrepancy in a hydrogen cloud? Doctor, I'm chasing the captain, Lieutenant Uhura, and Ensign Chekhov, not some wild aquatic fowl. Well, if you can't find a good quote, uh, Spock and Bones is always... Uh, yeah, th- this was hard, okay? Yeah. Whereas last week you, you had your pick of, you know, 10,000 different quotes yeah. from The Trouble with Tribbles, which is, a you know, a total quip fest as yeah. far as... Uh, Track episodes got this week a uh, little dry. Yeah, th- nothing happened in this fucking episode. Yeah, nothing. Well, no good dialogue happened in this episode. No, plenty of crap happened. But uh, uh, my my quote is kind of long. I went with a with a lengthy scene, uh, but this is worth it. This is uh, Kirk when he's trying to bluff his way out of uh, out of being locked up by the mob guys. Sees them playing uh, poker or something like that at a card table, and decides to make up this fictitious game uh, to trick them uh, out of. Uh, into into letting him free. So here is uh, Kirk describing the rules of Fizzbin. This, uh, this card game is a kid's game. You think so, huh? Oh, yes. Yes. I wouldn't waste my time. Who's asking you? On uh, Beta Antares 4, they play a real game. It's a man's game, but of course, probably a little beyond you. It requires intelligence. Listen, Kirk. I can play anything you can figure out. Take the cards, big man. Show us how it's played. Captain, I'm familiar with the culture on Bed Antares. Spark. I don't know of any Spark. name. Of course, the uh, cards on uh, Beta Antares 4 are different, but not too different. Uh, the name of the game is called uh, Fizbin. 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 It's uh, not too difficult. Mm-hmm. Each player gets six cards, except for the dealer, uh, the player on the dealer's right, who uh, gets seven. On the right. Yes. The second card is turned up, except on Tuesday. On Tuesday? Mm-hmm. Oh, look what you've got, two jacks. you got a half Fisbin already. <laughs> I need another jack. No, no, if you've got another jack, why, you'd have uh, a shrunk. A shrunk? Yes, you'd be disqualified. Oh. Now, what you need now is either a king and a deuce, except at night, of course, when you need a queen and a, and a four. Except at night. Right. Oh, look at that. You got another <laughs> jack. How lucky you are. How wonderful for you. Now, if you didn't get another jack, if you'd gotten a king, why, then you'd get another card, except when it's dark, when you'd have to give it back. If it were dark on Tuesday. Yes, but what you're after is a royal fisman. But the odds in getting a royal fisman are astron... Spock, what are the odds in getting a royal fisman? I've never computed them, Captain. Well, they're astronomical, believe me. Now, for the last card, we'll call it a cronk. You got that? What? Oh, I'll get it. Which, undoubtedly, some nerds out there somewhere have actually extrapolated this into a real game and played it. Yeah. So thanks, nerds. Thanks for that. That's that's the way our culture works. And, yep. Uh, I'm proud of us in a lot of ways, but I'm also a bit ashamed in some ways. Yes. So. Self-hating nerd. <laughs> so that's all for this week. Um, again, if you hadn't heard, the shirts are sold out, unfortunately. But uh, we appreciate everyone's uh, support there. Yep. Um, we're coming close to the end of season two. We're we're past the halfway point. We still got a bit of ways to go. 
Um, but uh, Matt and I are already conspiring uh, for more puppetry. Yes. So look forward to that. Yep. Um, so that's all from us, and we'll be back next week. See you, folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is published weekly and is available via iTunes or on the web at postatomichorror.com. This program is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham, and all original material contained herein is their intellectual property unless otherwise noted. All clips and references from Star Trek and related media are used without permission from CBS, Viacom, and or Paramount Pictures. Fair use is assumed for the purposes of review and parody, and the aforementioned co-producers do not receive any form of profit for this effort. Listener feedback can be sent to podcast at postatomichorror.com. An on-air response is guaranteed. 